Well, I am excited to, to join you together in studying God's Word together. I have to first begin. Somebody falsely accused me this morning of turning off the live stream so that we force people to leave Couch Church and join us in person. Uh, it's a lie, all right? Uh, but it worked totally this morning. So there's a few of you that are here for the first time that, uh, that in a long time that we haven't seen. I promise we didn't do it on purpose but we love the privilege of getting to have you back together. And there's lots of great things to celebrate in community together. Uh, we're going to do something pretty weird today. Uh, last week, we began a sprint through the Old Testament. And we know there's 66 books in God's Word. And uh, today, we're going to look at the entire New Testament. Somebody uh, was so kind to remind me last week after the service, after I was sweating and tired after what we had gone through, uh, that their pastor had spent... Uh, an entire year looking at two chapters of the Bible, and we're going to be looking at the entire New Testament today. So buckle up, let's go. You know, you know what I hope that this is like. Some of you, have you guys been on cruises before? Some of you have been on a cruise. You know that that they take you to ports of call. And I, as a teenager, I went to Alaska with my parents, and and there were some wonderful things that we saw. We saw glaciers, we saw salmon running, we saw bears, we uh, whales. It was it was really cool. But in my experience after that was that we would go to one place and I just, I love being outside. I love the adventure. I just wanted to stay there. And, and today, I, I confess, this is, this is one of those times where as we study God's word from a, you know, 20,000 foot perspective, as we zoom through these verses, for some of you, you're going to be like, this is not my cup of tea. Uh, this, is, this is way too fast. There's too much to, to catch. And actually, that's what I hope happens for each one of us today, is that there's something that we say, you know what? I want to go back there later on and camp out and understand what God was saying to that group of people and what he's saying to me through studying his word together. And I want to remind you gently this morning that when it would talk about God's word in general, that we believe that his word has provided us what we need in order to succeed in life. And it, there's a big difference. I, I love paddle sports like kayaking and whitewater rafting. Some of you have done this before. What's great about whitewater rafting and paddling is that generally, if you're in sync together and you're partnering together, in my language, rowing together, you can often do some pretty amazing things. You're kind of in control of what's going on. I've been on class five whitewater rapids that were extremely dangerous and the margin of air length was about six inches on each side of a raft. I've been through rocks where you, if you did not row appropriately, you were going to fall and you were going to deal with the consequences of not going in the same direction together. But I'm guessing for some of us, the way we approach life is a little bit more like tubing. You guys ever tubed before? When you jump in a lake, we used to have one near Cedarville, the college that I went to. And it was a lake where, especially on mornings like this, where the rain came and it was heavy, you would get in an old inner, um, uh, truck inner tube and uh, float down this, this river. Well, well, every time that we did it, we'd come home with scrapes and bruises, and you would know exactly what it feels like to be a pinball because of the fact that you are literally up a creek without a paddle, right? You are experiencing whatever's thrown at you. I remember the uh, one of the guys on the basketball team, the center, big tall guy, his raft started off giant, and through the slow leak, by the end of our trip down the water, he had a nice rubber belt at the end of the time, you know? You know, as we study the New Testament together today, there's going to be bits and pieces that we're going to glean together. But really catch this, please. Please 
please take the time to understand this, that there is one story that God is working through the inspiration of different authors to remind us of his knowledge of us that's perfect, that the Lord Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if we allow him to, he can do a work in our lives that can change everything. And as we come to the end of the New Testament, we're gonna see God sharing with us his plan of redemption for all creation. It's all in there and it's great. And it's okay if some of you say, hey, I would rather spend you know an entire week on one verse. Um, that's kind of my preference as well. I, it's like, just like some of you like cookie dough and some of you like rum raisin or whatever, ice cream, that, that today we're going to go through this in our own way, but we're going to look at this simple truth. And I want you to see this, this statement of the truth of God's word, that when it comes to um, the book of James, he says this, he says, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. King David said in Psalm 119 that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In the book of James, we see this simple truth that God has provided truth for us. In John 8, 12, Jesus said to people, he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you have the light that leads to life. Let's be honest with ourselves this morning that when it comes to the light of the world, that we have unprecedented access to the truth of God's word. Did you know that over the last 50 years, there have been 400 billion copies sold of the Bible? 400 billion copies. You probably own several of them. Compared to other books like Harry Potter, 400 million copies were sold of Harry Potter. So, so we have access to the truth of God's word. The question is that James asks us is, have we received it and allowed it to become something that changes our lives? I think if you stick with me this morning, you will be able to understand what is so valuable as we make these ports of call to different places that hopefully allow us to say, I want to go back and understand it. The first thing that we see as we study God's word together this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew. Um, we're going we're gonna to fly through these, so I hope you're, you're ready to move through these. But the first thing that we see when we study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the synoptic Gospels, is that Jesus started something when it began, when he came to earth to seek and to save that which was lost, that he intended for you and I to be a part of what was going to finish. And when we combine this with the book of Acts, we get to see the church launch into a world that desperately needs it. I love, in the book of Matthew, written by the disciple Matthew, what we see that he was a hated Jewish tax collector, yet God redeemed him. And over 50 times in the book of Matthew, he references direct quotes of the Old Testament. It bridges the Old Testament as he helps us to understand what it means to be a part of his mission, in the movement of redemption. And you know these words, Matthew 28, 19. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We've got a mission that he's given us. Mark is a fascinating book because it was written in such a way that challenges us to be provoked to action. Let's go. In fact, he uses the imperative often with a sense of momentum. You can get almost exclamation points at the end of what he says. And you know what I love about the book of Mark as it records the story of Christ's life and his teachings and, and the works of Christ that the very author inspired by the Holy Spirit was a man who 
who is infamous in the book of Acts for neglecting part of his mission. That he was the guy who we know that neglected the apostle Paul and Barnabas and abandoned them and caused tension and discouragement in the church. But what I love about that, maybe you don't relate to this, but I do, that God can take somebody who's imperfect, who'd had mistakes in his past and allow him to use them to bring himself glory and honor. Mark does that beautifully. Luke is the good physician who records with precision and detail. Like we said, we want our doctors, right? Or our, uh, our doctors to study well, right? And we want them to understand. And you know what Luke does is as a good physician is he records both in the gospel of Luke and then later in that part two portion of it, the book of Acts, the details of what it means for us to be able to see the gospel presented for all people, that God knows our needs. He has accurately diagnosed our needs and he understands the fact that this is so good, that the lost can be found, the sick can be made well again. I love, I quote this all the time, Luke 19, 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. For some of you, this next port of call, John, is just a wonderful book to remind you of what it means to believe. John uses stories that, that recall the belief that people had in Jesus, but also the understanding of who Jesus claimed to be in his I am statements. And then he records miracles, the mighty handiwork of Jesus as they established for people that he wasn't just a good teacher, but he was the Messiah, the, the one that we anticipate that can offer us life. And I just love that John records with detailed precision what incontrovertible evidence that Jesus is not just a way, but he is our living hope. I love John 20 verse 31. It says this, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We studied as a church family, the book of Acts, the launching of the church, and the church is on fire at this point. The, the recognition that the gift of the Holy Spirit comes and empowers God's people. Acts 1.8 puts it this way, and it's such a wonderful statement, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. When we lived in the Bahamas, one of my students um, became kind of famous on the island because he was playing with fireworks and he kind of burned down like half of the woods on the island. It was, it was incredible. And, and I, I always have this image with him. He's, he's a pilot now. I don't know if you're gonna get on his plane with him, but, but I always have this image with him of, of this, this thing that started so small and then it ends up expanding. And, and really what we get to see in the book of Acts is just God's on the move. And I want to make sure that we get this this morning. That I think often the relationship between somebody who stands up and preaches, they, they say, you should do this. You, you need to live this way. This is, I just want to remind you as we go through the New Testament that we just see time and time again that, that God says, join me in this. I'm, going, I'm doing this. Join me on this journey. And what can happen is great things can be a result of it. So we leads us to the second point. Congratulations, you made it through the first one. The second point is we're all given the privilege to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ together. And these 
the epistles that we're going to look at, there's a bunch of them, and we're going to fly through these. They remind us that the early church, as it was being established, had challenges. In fact, if you study these challenges, you're going to feel like they're very familiar. They may not feel like pandemics that you're trying to sort through. They may not feel like some of the challenges we have experienced maybe in the last few weeks. But when you study it, you start to recognize that the struggles that you and I have, especially as individuals who want to be Christ followers, are directly addressed in God's provision of the New Testament. The book of Romans is a book that records right thinking, doctrine, sound understanding of the truth of God's word. And it spends a lot of time reminding us that we have an incredible problem, and that's called sin. But God's grace is sufficient for us. And he says to us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And toward the end of the book of Romans, you just find yourself seeing this truth applied. The gospel should change everything. I love the way that Romans 1.16 puts it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For is it the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Greek? For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from everyone who believes. If I'm, um, to everyone who believes, first the, first the Jew first and also to the Greek. For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's a beautiful book. The next, we turn to First and Second Corinthians. And we're going to be studying this together as a church family over the next several months. And I'm excited about studying Corinthians. And the reason is that it feels very much like the world that you and I live in. There was a blending of Christianity and the culture of the day. And it was a sex-saturated culture, a culture that was very carnal. The decisions that people made as Christ followers often were exactly the same decisions that people were making in the pagan world that was around them. And the Apostle Paul communicates in the midst of this that we love differently. We live differently. We ought to be people who understand, in his words, you were bought with a price. So therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Later in 2 Corinthians, we see God restore his people through a powerful combination of truth and love. Hey, the themes that we see in the New Testament, one that you cannot ignore is the theme of redemption. I always, I always think of redemption as uh, my attempts at redeeming myself are about as bad as that broken precious moment that was a result of me wrestling with my brothers in my home. Do you guys know what precious moments are? Like little figurines. And, and the time you try to glue it back together with super glue and like the nose is upside down and it's just my efforts out of my own strength fall far short, Right. But what we understand is through his provision, the Lord has made a way for us to see what's broken, restored. Can you guys tell I'm excited about this? I'm fired up about it because it's, it's so interesting to see that God does this with us. Let me put this in a different way. And this is what we're going to, the, the title of the series that we're going to start next week, uh, we're calling Prodigal Church. And I want you to think about what I just shared from a different perspective. And that is, when we know the story of the prodigal son, we know that he was a, a man who had access to the table of a God or a father who could provide for him. There, there was a banqueting table. There were, needs were met. He feasted well. 
And then he leaves and he abandons that gift and he lives the way he wants to. And ultimately there's that, that intense moment when he looks at the pods to the pigs and he's hungry and he says, even my, my father's servants have better than this. In other words, I could be eating at a banquet, but instead I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself tempted by the pods to pigs. And then what he does is he comes back home and in that process, he's restored through the hand of a God that knows him. So, so as a church in a world that's broken, we can find ourselves being tempted to just live like the world does and have to sacrifice the banqueting table for the scraps that are from the pigs, you know? And I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you that he wants so much more than that for us. In fact, Paul addresses his church in the book of Galatians with passion. In fact, he, there's this, the last sentence in the book of Galatians is interesting. It's like he, he grabs the pen from the scribe who's recording the truth and like in all caps, he, he summarizes his statement. He's fired up about the fact that there's people who are attempting to take the gospel and attempt to add something to the gospel. And it's devastating to the church early church, and he fights it. So we understand that anything added to the gospel can tragically divide us. But what unifies us is this. Listen to these words in Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. That's the gospel. That's the beauty of what God has provided. The church in Ephesus was another church that had needs and they were struggling. And what the Apostle Paul challenged his leaders and he challenges you and I to do is to be people who walk worthy of our calling. If you need a dose of encouragement, let me encourage you to sit at the feet of the book of Philippians. It's a book that reminds us of our identity. It reminds us that true joy doesn't come from our circumstances but instead that we can understand what it means to have the very mind of Christ to suffer and yet experience great joy. Book of Colossians, we studied together as a church family and talked about being rooted and established in his truth, not tossed in the wind like so many are these days. First and second Thessalonians are unique books because they address something that's really important. And that is that, that God's word teaches us that the way that it is today is not the way that it's always going to be. That the Lord is going to return, um, that he is going to redeem his creation, that we are going to experience what it means to have personal, intimate, presence with the living God. And First and Second Thessalonians represents a group of people in a time in history when they were trying to figure this whole thing out. Wait a second. The Lord hasn't returned. Is it going to happen? Some were preaching that it had already happened. And it was a very confusing time in the church. And so uh, what we know about those churches is that some people were just sitting around waiting for the Lord to return. Hey, news for you. There's people who are doing that today, right? They're like, all right, this is all so broken. Uh, what are we going to do? But, but what the Apostle Paul challenges the church to do is to anticipate eagerly the return of the king, right? To anticipate eagerly that God's going to restore his creation. That the way it is isn't the way it's always going to be. So he says, don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> it's time for you to get going. It's, there's work for us to do together. And so First and Second Thessalonians shares with us that. So I love, I love this. One of my pastor growing up, we had this, this great old church building that had a balcony. And he had preached a message that was 
that was out of First um, uh, Thessalonians, these words in First Thessalonians 4.16, a little bit after the verse that we put on the screen. It says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And after he preached that message, he'd had somebody from the worship team go back up in the balcony with a trumpet and to blare it out from the upper deck. And we only had three heart attacks that day at church on that Sunday. Uh, I, love, I love the anticipation of the return of the king. First and second Thessalonians reminds us that the way it is is not the way it's always going to be. The next Several books are known as the pastoral epistles. They're not just written to people like me, but they remind us of God's care and provision for his church. In 1 Timothy, the generational leader that was, had a believing grandmother and a believing mother that ultimately was discipled by the Apostle Paul that we recognize that the good shepherd takes care of his sheep. And I love the description that is listed in 1 Timothy 1.15 that that Paul teaches him what it means to be a servant of God. And I just, I love this. This means so much to me in verse 15. It says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You and I are in complete agreement with that. That's why Jesus came. But then Paul says this, of whom I am the foremost. And I, I love that description of a Christian leader that understands that this isn't about burdens on other people's backs that we're not willing to bear, but instead this is what it means to understand the gospel. Second Timothy, we see Paul declaring that he'd fought the good fight, he'd finished the race, and as Christ followers, we can finish well. In the book of Titus, we see um, uh, the establishment of a plurality of leaders at, at Hope Church. We have a group of elders that serve here. I'm not the only leader of Hope Church. I'm one of many. And part of that is because of the pastoral epistle of Titus that gives us standards and expectations for Christian leaders. These are not new ideas. These are not ideas of the Christian and Missionary Alliance or our, our local church gathering, but they're God's ideas establishing his church. And we strive to follow it. In the book of Philemon, we see an incredible story of a slave that becomes a believer. And what we recognize through that process is we can share the freedom and forgiveness of Christ. Are you guys still awake out there? We're almost there. You're doing good. Uh, the book of Hebrews is, uh, I don't know if it's okay to say that you have favorites, um, but the book of Hebrews is very meaningful to me because it talks about how much greater Christ is than the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the old rules, the old ways of doing life because he's a better, he's a better um, sacrifice, he's a, a better leader, he's a better gift from God. The new covenant is superior to the old way of life. And so what we do when we study Hebrews is we see that God is placed in his rightful place. And when he's placed in his rightful place, everything else falls in its rightful place. I love that simple truth. In the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus, the pastor that shepherded the church in Jerusalem, has a hard truth, but a clear truth, that faith without works is dead. His expectation is you don't just live with the license to sin, but instead through the gospel that we find ourselves pushed and exposed to truth in such a way that we ought to live it. And first and second Peter, Peter reminds us of the simple truth that suffering is a part of the Christian life, but we've been given what we need to succeed through the experience of suffering in our life. 
Later in the books of 1 John and 2 John and 3 John, we're reminded that the gospel unifies, that true love flows out of the obedience, that we are given the gift of hospitality in order to display God's love to people who need it. And and the book of Jude is kind of a weird, hard-hitting book right at the end of the New Testament that reminds us of the fact that the gospel is worth fighting for. I love the way he puts this in Jude 1, 1, 3. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to all the saints. The third point this morning is Jesus gives us, he offers to us a living hope. What we see in the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, often described as a book of judgment. Actually, I think it's a book of restoration. In fact, the entire Bible, which begins in paradise, is going to end in paradise. And we're going to get to see the plan that God has to bring his creation to a point of redemption. And you get to look forward in history as John, through his prophetic vision sees where we're headed and what we recognize is the rest of the story is not finished yet. But here's the great news that you and I are on the winning team. And so as we look at these books, one of the things that happens for me is we see themes that were woven together through the fabric of God's word. One of those themes is that God knows us perfectly. He's provided for us what we need His expectation for us is to access for ourselves what he's given to us. And I I had this experience, some of you may be able to relate to this, that when I was younger, when I first became a believer, um, especially as a teenager, I just, I loved studying God's word, but I actually, I really loved going to summer camp. And uh, we, we just looked forward to it. We had a lot of fun. There were some guys from my high school that attended the same summer camp. And I had this day when we were sitting around the lunch table and we're like, hey, church camp is like 42 days away. And we're like counting it down together. Isn't that kind of nerdy? You guys are like, it's okay to laugh at me. My kids do it all the time. No, trust me. So, so we, we just kind of had this moment where we're like, oh, I can't wait. And I, I loved getting to, uh, you know, do all the fun things you do at camp. But, but one of the big things was just doing, you know, studying God's word and all those things. And there's just a moment for me. It might sound a little strange, but... I'm like, this is kind of dumb. Why am I waiting for that? I can, I can do this myself. I can experience this for myself. And that was a turning point for me in my life where, as we've been describing it through this Discover series, this has intentionally been one of those, I can give you a fish or I can teach you to fish, through the, the exercise of good observation in Scripture, good interpretation and good application of Scripture, what we can find is the ability to feed ourselves, not have to depend on someone else to pre-digest truth, but to eagerly search scripture to determine what is taught is true. And in that process, what you can do is become a self-feeder of God's word. Here's what I hope happens for each and every one of you. This has been fun for me. But what I hope happens as we come to the conclusion of this Discover series is that you have an experience like what we did when, when we lived in the Bahamas. I had the privilege of working out at a hotel that was right on the place where the big cruise ships came in almost every day. And I'd work out and then go swim in the pool. And you could just see the, the massive cruise ships come in. And they're only going to come in for probably six hours. You know, very few of them stayed longer than that. And so people get out and they experience and then they get back on and they go on to the next port of call. And and what I hope happens for each one of you when it comes to this 
commitment to studying God's word in your own life is that it's not just that one time visit and then you move on, but you get to experience what I got to, that, that this becomes a part of the fabric of your life, your daily life. And I think when you do that, you will see what we started with in the book of James, that, that that seedling that becomes a part of our life, that it takes root and it grows and it allows us to understand what it means for God's word to be, what does he say? A lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. That's what he's called for each one of us to have the privilege of doing. It's one author, one story woven together through history to bring himself glory and honor. And it is truly the living word. Would you join me in prayer as we uh, wrap up this time and we'll invite the worship team to come forward as we praise the Lord together. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. I thank you for the simple promises that you give us that your word will not return void. I pray that for each and every one of us that there would be um, a, a desire for us to be people who are not just aware of your, your word or that we don't just have one on our shelf, uh, but that we understand it to be the living word. As I describe it like an, an oar that can help us to direct us through the experiences of life under your good care. I think of the, the, the command or charge to put on the full armor of God and that the, the word is like a sword and that for some of us in this room that we're, we're trying to fight the battle of life without having access to the weapon that you've given us to protect ourselves and to understand your truth personally. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for the fact that your word is sufficient for life and godliness and I pray for each and every person here that as we consider these simple truths that we would allow them to not just be things that we hear, but Lord, that you allow them to be what we do. We love you. We need you today. And all God's people said, amen.